the show, everybody. We have a special guest on Divorce Devil today, Julie Wilson. Julie's been a friend 15, 20 years? 20, 20 years. years. Right. A little, yeah, right. Almost 21. And she is a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Colorado Springs. Uh, this is actually her third career. She did 16 years of banking and finance and then worked for a couple of nonprofit agency, agencies and went from there. So, Julie, take it away. Hello. Nice Thanks to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, yeah. We tried to get you in quite a while ago. So here we are. So how'd you get into counseling? What was your foray into counseling? Well, the uh, the segue into that was actually my second career. When I did nonprofit management, the, one of the nonprofits that I managed was uh, Pregnancy Resource Center. We did peer counseling. And I got into, I learned the basics, counseling 101, Enjoyed it, loved connecting with people, felt like I uh, was uh, doing well in that, really enjoyed it, helping people, and actually did some uh, some consulting for a national organization. I went around the country and trained peer counselors for a period of time. In addition to my job, I would, because it was part-time, so I would also go all over the country so you were training counselors and you weren't a counselor yet? I was training peer counselors. Peer counselors, which yes. is different. Okay. Yes. What's the difference between peer counselors and regular counselors? The peer counseling was really just basic connection, relationship skills, how to listen, some listening skills, some communication skills, how to um, assess what somebody's saying and, and try to meet their point of need. So it was very basic, very okay. basic. And decided I wanted to professionalize what skills I thought I had. And so I went back to school. And you got the, the, you got the bite, huh? I did. Bit you. Boom. I, I walked into an academic advisor one morning and three hours later walked out and I was registered for my, to complete my bachelor's. And then I went on and got my master's right so after So how that. much time to complete your bachelor's and into your master's? It took me um, right at three years to get my bachelor's. I had a few banking courses under my belt, and that was it. That counted, though. And then I also tested out of a few courses, about probably 15 credit hours I tested out of. And you're so young, too. That I must have know. been. Yeah, you know, you're so young. I, I'm so and young you, and brilliant. And you just jumped right into that. <laughs> Let's talk about divorce counseling. Let's what are the do. ABCs of divorce counseling? Mm. You know, what you do when people come to you. Hey, if you want to get a divorce? What do you? Where do you start? That's actually happened. I I've had I had a couple one time that said we're here because we are splitting up and we need to know how to do it well and not destructively. So the one thing that when when people come into me and they say well, I don't know this is this is pretty bad pretty desperate don't know if I if we need to stay married. Um, and so what I will do is help them turn over every rock, leaf, get every obstacle out of way to see if indeed this is the path they want to be on. Because some people just can't see light at the end of the tunnel of the problems they're having. But if they can find a way through their problems, then they have a different perspective, a different viewpoint as to whether their marriage is going to work or not. The thing I've seen, because uh, I did marriage counseling a couple times before getting divorced, but when one person gives up, mm -hmm. it's over. Well, and one of the first things I do, and I think just about all marriage and, and family therapists will do, is assess 
where they are on a scale of zero to 10 with zero being, I'll give it a couple of visits and then I'm off to the lawyer and Mm. 10 being, no, we don't want a divorce. We want to work this out, but it's just so difficult right now. We don't know what to do, but we're, we are going to stay married. And so they, I, I look for a number there. If it's over five, we, we pretty much have something to work with. If somebody's at a one or two, no way. They're there. They're there to get a stamp of approval for divorce. Is what they're there for. So, what you do with the one or two? Is you just tell them outright, bang, boom. Or I will you... say we need to get that number raised. Oh, and so are you willing to... to work on that? Okay, are you willing so to work you can on raise that? The number. Yes. Okay. So let's see if we can get that number raised a little bit, so we can see a little more perspective. Okay. You know, when when we're at the bottom of the barrel, when we're at the bottom of that, when we drop off the edge and we're at the bottom, we look up and we maybe only see one answer. Yeah. But the the more you climb out of that pit, your vantage point broadens. You, so, you, so your job is to let them see more and more of a vantage point. Yes. Let's see what other options there are besides looking straight up and seeing divorce. So you, so you don't give up on them right away? No. You wait a little bit. Right. Before you give up on them. I wait a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think people get tired of me with my thumb in their back going, okay, oh. let's talk about this. Let's go. Let's go think about this. And So they let you know it. when they're done. Basically, pretty much a lot of times <laughs> if, if maybe they just say, you know, we're going to give it a break. We're going to give it a rest. You may or may not see them again. Um, but but most people, if you can if you can set it up in the beginning mm-hmm. in a positive way, saying because I feel as a marriage and family therapist, nothing's impossible. If, if people are willing to work on the relationship and willing to make their own changes rather than try to change their partner, mm-hmm. many times that's enough of a jog to get those gears moving again. You know, a lot of times it's just like people get stuck and the gears are all of a sudden the cogs aren't lined up like they should be. And it could just be a little adjustment. It could be somebody saying, wow, I never realized that in myself. I think I want to change that. So it's an introspect. Yes, because we can't change other people. All we can do is change ourselves. Sometimes we can barely do that. (laughs) (laughs) We can't change what people do or say, but we can change our reaction to that. Yeah. Sometimes when people make those changes as well, they realize, "Eh, I realize how toxic this relationship is. So So they get to see the relationship at what it what it is mm-hmm. say hey maybe this this isn't the right thing for both of us mm-hmm. wow so when do you, so they decide so you let them decide i do say hey you know instead of but haven't you have one i don't want to say customer one client you say hey guys you guys are wasting my time wasting your time you ever, uh, you ever have that i have said that but not very I often i have said that no not very often no. So many times people get into the role of, let's go to Julie so we can complain about each other and I can tell her what you did and you can tell her what, what, what I did and then she'll figure it out. And I tell people it's not my job to do that because that would be me saying what you should do, when you should do it, how you should do it, how long you should do it. And then I would be responsible for the consequences, not you. Almost like a referee. Yeah. I don't get into refereeing. I say, I'm going to give you the tools to get through that fight. I'm going to give you some new communication strategies and some ways to um, engage in in a healthier way. And then you get to figure out through that process how you're going to fix it. Why do you think we have the stigma of counseling? 
You know, you know, you and I talked about that. I have friends talk about that. You know, America, you know, we have all these gun things happening mm-hmm. and mental health mm-hmm. and people aren't getting help. Why, why is there a stigma? What's the deal with that? I think people are, they think that a therapist is going to tell them what to do and they'll have to do it. And, and also people are many times are afraid of change. If, if we get, uh, if we get stuck in our family roles, and we um, are unhealthy in that. We don't like the unhealthiness of it, but yet it's scarier to think about changing many times. And, and I think it, it can be a racial thing, too, because in the African-American community, it's, it's not cool to, uh, to even go to the doctor, let mm-hmm. alone go to a therapist. Right. And you know, <laughs> It's kind of a waste yeah. of money, people think. Yeah. But yeah. I've been to therapists. I've been to the doctor. Heck, I'm a doctor. So come to me. <laughs> Well, tell me about your therapeutic experiences. <laughs> what did you gain from that? Experience, oh, those experiences. Well, my first therapeutic experience is very interesting. So we did a marriage counselor thing early on, and uh, the marriage counselor was referred by one of my then wife's friends. Okay. And so we went and here in and, town. Then here in town, and oh, we'll the, have to t- we'll have to gossip after this, we're done. This lady was all over me. I mean, I could do nothing right. <laughs> I, and, and after a couple of sessions, I'm like, man, this, I thought, she, I actually thought she was a man hater. So I contacted my wife's friend's husband. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, I said, hey, did you get that same vibe? He <laughs> She's a man eater. He goes, he goes, he goes, yes, she's a man hater. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. So we go to a marriage counselor who hates men. <laughs> True story. And so we changed after that. And, and Was it better? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And then we went to another marriage counselor right before we got divorced. And and she was awesome. Matter of fact, I would see her again. Uh, but it just didn't work because when one person gives up, it's over. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, uh, I, I try not to. Well, you can't take sides. Yeah. And and so many times I have to tell people over and over. And, and it's not only telling them, but reminding myself. In this room, there's no good or bad. There's no right or wrong. But what happens if there's a definite wrong going on, though? Then my job is to help that person that may be engaging in destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. Is that work? You know, not the Doctor Phil thing, but is that working for your marriage? Is that good for your marriage? What does that do for your marriage? What does that do for you? And and so through that introspection, hopefully they would realize, ah, eh, this is not a good thing. That's very different. It it's a. Uh, it's interesting when you can shed light on a situation in a way that nobody's thought about it before. And you can you can almost see it on their face like, oh. Like Eureka. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. And and uh, so then I feel like I did a good job if I, if I got them to think about something in a different way. Without saying, hey, you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. You do something different. You suck. Because who am I to say they're a bad person? Because... We're all we're all sitting in the room. We're all human beings. We all have. I'm I'm a flawed person. I'm a human being. We all have flaws. You know, nobody's I, I'd perfect. I'd be a bad counselor. I, I'd be pointing fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> you know, you're stupid. Stop doing that. <laughs> Just stop, stop it. it. Yeah, I understand why. And listen to me. I'm the boss here. This is my counseling room. Do what I say. You know, it's kind of like being a kid. You know, being being the oldest of of two. I was always in control. So mm-hmm. it's like, hey, look, 
I'm your counselor. Do this crap. <laughs> stop. Stop doing that destructive behavior. This ain't Dr. Phil. <laughs> Do you, it have you ever or else I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Therapy with a purpose. Like, Ooh, don't yeah. want him to kick my butt. He's bigger than me. <laughs> have you seen that that Bob Newhart blip um, where he's a count- he's a th- he's a psychiatrist, I guess, and yep. he's it's the stop it method. Have you seen uh-uh. that? Oh my goodness, you need to YouTube it. It's hilarious. And he's like, okay, I'm five minute sessions, five bucks. But but Google um, on search says, it. it. Yeah. Oh. So he hears this whole sad story, and he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you. Should I write it down? The the client says, I'll write it down. Do you no no no, you don't need to write it down. Just stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I do feel like doing that sometimes. But In you fact, can't. one time I had a couple. They were, it was it was chaos. They they started yelling and screaming. It was out of control. And I'm like, you guys, stop it, stop. Just trying to get them to be quiet enough yeah. to, so I could, okay, let's calm down here. Let's do some <laughs> breathing or something. You know, it was not working. And so I have a a singing bowl. Have you mm-hmm. seen those? Yep, the one that does it. Yes, little- I grabbed the singing bowl and I'm just and. They both look at me and they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get you to stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing my bowl, so please shut up. <laughs> I'm going to get a singing bowl here. That's, that's what I need for my, for, for my listeners. <laughs> it's helpful when you need to be mindful and calm mindful. yourself down. Yes. I don't know, man. I'd be a brutal counselor. Seriously. I, I just – because when I did um, – when I uh, facilitated uh, d- divorce recovery, mm-hmm. the the first time, you know, you almost identify with the people mm-hmm. and you want to fix it. And that was the thing with me. And, man, I, I would go home exhausted. Boundaries. Of, oh, yeah. Boundaries. And then after a couple of times facilitating, it's like, psh, you know, guys, this is this is the way. This is this is this is the path. Jump on it or don't jump on it. See ya. So. Exactly, and and it's those therapeutic boundaries that that's that's a difficult thing oh, for a therapist. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. You know, you know, kind of like when people come in. Well, when I first started my practice, people come in with a cavity and they're hurting and crying, and you know, I used to be so tired. And I was like, Psh, you know, you got that cavity, man. You know, you got that, <laughs> that hole in the tooth. I didn't put, I didn't make you eat that good and plenty. You're on your own, buddy. But I can fix it for you, Mister Sympathy. <laughs> I can fix it but for you. But you were with me. But oh, my I gosh. Can, I can fix it for you, but you did that crap. So, hey, <laughs> give, him, give him a Barry White moment. Right on, right on, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about the differences in counseling men and women. I know mm-hmm. there's some distinct differences. Yes, very much so. And especially the population I work with is a military population. Oh, so right. I work with a lot of um, wives and their husbands are active duty and – um, then I have some veterans, men and women that I work with, and women. Um, it's they're looking more to zone in on their emotions, and men are looking more to how do I avoid my emotions. So women actually uh, many times will come into a therapist to tap into their emotions, to explore their emotions, find out where they're coming from what to do to resolve um, emotion that is extreme and that they're having a hard time dealing with. And many times men are feeling something and they just don't like it and they want to get rid of it. Just so, want to fix it. Yes. How do, I, how do I get rid of this horrible feeling without having to actually go any deeper with this Work horrible feeling? Yeah. My, my staff and I have this conversation all the time that, you know, we just want men to listen. But that's not our nature. 
our nature is to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you mm-hmm. tell me that you're hurting and you want me to listen, I- I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And, and that's the last mm-hmm. thing what women want. In couples counseling, that's a very interesting perspective because women want their husbands to listen and men want to fix whatever it is their wives are saying that that needs to be fixed. So in other words, a woman might come home and say, oh, I had a horrible day and this happened and that happened. And his first inclination is to jump in and fix it and change it so she won't have to have that kind of a horrible day again. Well, I've learned how to fix that. How do you fix that? You don't Wine. ask. <laughs> you don't ask. <laughs> I had a horrible day, honey. Wine. <laughs> I hate my girlfriend. Wine. <laughs> my car broke on the way home. Wine. Why? <laughs> it's simple. I got it under control. So, by, by nature, many people are not good listeners, not just men, but a lot of people don't listen well. One of our, um, our counseling sessions, we did the speaker-listener technique where you had that little – there's a card and it's on the fridge and whoever has the card speaks – Another person has to listen. I have some some similar strategies, yes. And that kind of works because men are hard-headed. They are. Sorry, man. You know what? It's so nice to have a man. (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. (laughs) I'll admit it. (laughs) We we are hard-headed, you know. And what what women have to do is 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 talk to us through the hard-headedness and just realize we're hard-headed. That way, there won't there won't be any miscommunications. You know, the Venus and Mars. Screw that. It's all about hard-headedness. Uh-huh. There you go. A lot, And women, a lot of times what, what women want and what women, men want are the same thing. But to get to that common goal, it's an opposite strategy. Sex is a big issue in marriage counseling. And men will say, ah, oh, she never wants to do it. And she will say, oh, he always, that's all he ever wants to do. Opposites, okay. opposite So where do you meet in the middle? You say... Somebody's got to take a step to the middle, and the other, both of them have to take a step to the middle. So, so Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> See, figure out what works for well, for a lot of men. We're like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sunday, <laughs> two, two, Tuesday, Thursdays after the news. Yes. <laughs> you hear a lot of interesting things when it comes. To, you know, it's a privilege though to be able to talk with people about. Their marriage, it's such a, it's such a, it's unique unto them. No marriages, no two marriages are alike. Everybody's marriages are different because there's, there's two unique people in each marriage. So after you hear all this stuff every day, how do you deprogram? What do you do? What's your, what's your modus operandi of like chilling? Well, unfortunately for my husband, many times I don't want to talk when I get home. (laughs) Because I've been listening and talking all day. And so he he knows if I come in and say, hey, I got nothing, you know, I I need to go upstairs and I'll crochet a little bit. I'll Mm -hmm. watch some TV. I'll totally decompress by doing my quiet stuff that has always calmed me. Um, Not that I need calming, but it's just a it's just a relax, relax. And then, you know, we we fit in pockets of time during the evening that I'll we'll converse for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And That's enough. I'm done. I'm going back upstairs to <laughs> <I know>. do crochet. <laughs> Thanks. Love you. <laughs> On the weekends, I try to be mindful of, of uh, paying attention to family time. You know, you know it's, it's kind of like my, uh, I have a good friend who I haven't talked to in a while. I, I got to call him. He's uh, OBGYN in Idaho. And uh, when I went to dental school, he went to med school mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he came out and that was his, uh, uh, profession 
And I was like, Psh, man, you got it made, man. That's <laughs> awesome. And then he goes, he goes, he goes, you know, and I, and I talked to him years later. He, he goes, you know, I'm surprised I have four kids. That's exactly what he said. Really? So it's kind of like, you know, you know, your It your becomes job. so mechanical. Yeah, mechanical. Yeah. It's like, wow. So that, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. I try to just also uh, not analyze the situation too much at home. My, when my, my son, many, yeah, my yeah. son many times will say, quit being my therapist. <laughs> and I'll say, I'm not, I'm being your mother. <laughs> which is, which is kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Except therapists don't tell you what to do. They, they direct you in a position, but your mom tells you, Hey, do this, <laughs> do this or die. Yeah. So he's, I, I try not to do that type of thing, but I, I, I am pretty good about hopefully saying, listen, we need a little, if, if it's a tense situation, we need to both settle down, get a grip, and then come back and use some good listening and communication skills. That's for that's good for anybody. Everybody oh, needs definitely. to know how that to. Was, that was something I learned. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the emotional tailspin of divorce. How do you – what would you tell listeners how to handle that? Because there's a, there's a huge emotional tailspin. Huge. You know, you know I was in it. I've seen other people yes. in it. You, and you cannot make any, any, any decisions that are major – You've already got this major thing going on, life-changing event. Emotions will change every day, sometimes every hour of the day they change. So that is not the time to be making decisions about buying cars or houses or where to send your kids or to school or uh, making anything, you know, job changes, those types of things. Very difficult to, to do something like that when you're in that tailspin. Things have to settle down. If you're in a tailspin, and let's think about a car sliding on some ice, you're not going to go very. You're not going to go 90 miles an hour until yeah. you get that car under Slow control and be able to to navigate in a straight line. You have to give yourself some time and grace, and don't beat yourself up over, uh, well, this isn't happening, or I'm not able to do this, or that's okay, that's okay. We're going to get the car under control and get things calmed down, and then you can worry about those other major life events. When the emotions are regulated, in other words, um, it is an emotional thing. It's Big time. Because you're divorcing who you thought you would be with the rest of your life. It's like a death. Yes. It, you're grieving. It, it's, it's a, a process. Death. Yeah. Yeah, bless you, sir. Um, what about forgiveness? That's, that's, that's one of my favorite topics. Because when I did divorce recovery and when I facilitated, I always came clean with my class. I said, you know, guys, this forgiveness day... Not really for me, but let's go ahead and talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was always straight with and they're like, Wow. Our facilitator's pretty cool. He's pretty straight with us. If he doesn't forgive, I don't have to forgive, right? <laughs> no, do do as I say, not as I do. Because 'cause I'm I'm a semi therapist, darn it. Do what I say. But yeah, yeah, that forgiveness component is, is hard. It is. It's very hard. And and what I what I tell people, don't if if you feel like you can't forgive yet, the time will come. And even if you can't do it in here in your heart and do it like you, you think you should in a deep, meaningful way. So wear it on your sleeve. Do it up here on your, in your cognitive, in your head. Just willfully just say, I, I choose right now to forgive this person. And that is the start. It's, it's almost like a catalyst to be able to move on. Um, and it has to be, it, it, Everybody grieves in a different way. Everybody processes yeah. in a different way. It can't be at a certain time. It's whenever you know. You're going to need to do that because if you don't, 
there may come a time where you feel like uh, your life work, your life purpose is being blocked. And, no, and, and I think just, it's just each up inside. It, it just each it just it grinds is. and grinds and grinds. And it'll grow. It'll no. grow if you don't take care of it. And you, you need to be able to say, "Wow, I'm just glad that part of my life is over yeah. because that was not a fun part of my life. I need to, I need to be able to now to move on." There was a time. It was about, oh, I don't know, maybe close to 20 years after my first marriage that I decided I needed to do that. It it ended abruptly. There were no kids. We were young. We were stupid. You know, didn't have a clue about what we were doing. But I had some bitterness there um, because he got married so quickly after mm-hmm. our divorce. And I thought, oh, yeah, he was, it was somebody I knew. And I thought, yeah, the writing's on the wall. They were seeing each other. And, you know, at that time, Colorado Springs was a small town. There were people that knew um, him and his wife. And it's like, yeah, they were mm-hmm. seeing each other. And that, that really hurt. And it, there came a time I thought I have to forgive him because this is this is causing a, an element of bitterness in my life. You know, it's almost like they still have control. Yes, you're giving them control. Mm-hmm. And really, when at the end of the day, as horrible as it is, all the things you go through, many times you share kids. So, so don't you want the parent of your children to be in a good spot? The one spot that I was in for a while, because I went to my divorce, my parents were divorced. That's like two generations. You know, have you ever talked to people about that little stigma or that little, that's, that was always in the back of my mind. You know, my parents didn't make it. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it. Man, what does that show my kids? It's interesting when you look at family generational issues. And that's why therapists, marriage therapists, marriage and family look at a genogram, which is a, like a roadmap of your, your mm-hmm. family. But it, it's, it's designed to give you insights as to family relationships through the generations. And many times I've heard people say, I don't want to get a divorce because I do want to be the one person in my family to stay together that sticks it out and, and makes it work. But we learn patterns from our parents, from our grandparents, aunts and uncles, those around us. We, we do learn patterns. And many times those patterns are, it's okay. And sometimes the pattern is, I'm going to see if I can do something differently. And all we can do is try it and see if it'll work for you. What happens if you have, uh, and this, this, this comes from a friend of mine, what happens if you have, there's a divorce situation going on or, mm-hmm. or a possibility of divorce, but there's also a a um, alcohol or drug problem too. Mm. That's like a double whammy. How it did, is. Which which whammy do you handle first? Well, if there's if there's addiction that is um, that has taken over control of the situation, kind of holding the the relationship hostage. Mm-hmm. If it's if there's addiction, there's usually codependency, which is not healthy. The addiction has to stop. And I have told people. We need to, you need to get some substance abuse counseling before you, before you come back for marriage therapy, because everything we try to do is just going to be derailed every time you leave here and you go to the bar or, or go, go, if you're drug seeking or whatever it is, if it's an addiction, it's a problem that needs to be dealt with first, or at least some sobriety of of whatever sort has to take over. So you just talked about codependency. Mm -hmm. Is that a form of addiction? Yes, it is. Okay, very much so. Let's talk about that a little bit. Codependency in an addictive relationship kind of takes on a life of its own, and people become addicted to being codependent. 
they they actually f- start feeling really good about fixing things, taking control of things, doing things that they shouldn't be for the other person. For instance, um, if you have a husband and a wife and there's uh, an al- one of them is an alcoholic and they don't get up and go to work and you got the other one calling the boss and saying, hey, you know, she can't come into work because she's sick when mm-hmm. really she's that's that's codependent and that's destructive because you're you're preventing that person from stepping up to the plate and dealing with their own issue. I'm so sorry. codependency is always like a dominant and recessive. That's what I'm hearing. Um, one takes care of the other or they both take care of each other or maybe a little bit of both. One usually takes care of the other. So there's a the, 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 Yes, the the addict will um, advocate responsibility to the codependent. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just learn something. They don't if they don't have to do it, they won't because then they have more time for their addiction. And the codependent becomes addicted to, oh, if I don't drive this person, then they will get in a car and drive drunk. So I have to do it. Um, I pick up the pieces for, um, my boyfriend or girlfriend taking care of their children because they can't do it. And, and otherwise the children wouldn't eat or get to school or do this. Or do, there has to be some natural consequences to the addictive behavior, hopefully not too destructive, but yeah. the, if the natural consequences don't occur because you got a codependent covering all the bases, then that addict will simply continue in their addictive behavior. So it's just a never-ending process. It just keeps going mm-hmm. and going and going. To yeah, perpetuates each Last other. but not least, let's talk about children. Children and divorce. Old children, mm-hmm. young children, medium children. Young children? And I hear this question all the time. Um, what's the best type of visitation set up for them? Um, how do I tell my child? Um, I feel with with younger children, maybe under ten, even even younger than that, maybe eight. It's best just to to give them some factual information, keep it brief, keep it as simple as possible. If the child is in um, a home where there's a lot of screaming, fighting. Um, passive-aggressive behavior, emotional upheaval. The child many times is going to be relieved anyway. But but just be factual and brief. And, and you know, mommy and daddy have decided to live apart. Mm-hmm. Um, children will be sad. Parents are afraid of their children being sad. But that's a natural consequence to telling your, your children many times that you're going to be splitting up as they're going to be sad. But they'll almost be happier. Because they'll be less arguing and fighting. Many times the older else. children yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I tell people, kids know. Kids aren't dumb. No. They're kids good. know. They have it figured out anyway. Oh, yeah. They got to figure it out before you even tell them sometimes. Yes. Yes. Whether you think you're hiding your fighting or not, mm-hmm. um, they can they can feel it. There's yeah. an essence in the home. There's a underlying emotional current that is unspoken and unseen, but they can feel it. Um. Think about when, when you're with your husband or wife. You know when things aren't good. Yep. <laughs> you can walk in a room and say, ooh. Yep, something's wrong. Yep. Yep, it's not good. Kids need to um, feel like, well, first of all, they need to know they're going to be taken care of. Yep. That they're secure. Mommy and daddy love them, of course. 
and kind of have the plan already in place. You're going to spend these days with daddy. You're going to spend these days with mommy. So what's, what's an optimal plan? Uh, we did week on, week off. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked. You know, they were all in middle school, high school. Yes, and, and for and older kids, hard. many yeah. times that works. Yeah. Give, give the kids some say down the road if you can. Um, when, when you're first coming out of the shoot, they have to be told what the plan is. But for heaven's sake, it's, it's so destructive for the children when they get caught in the middle. Oh, yeah. And you got parents fighting. You know, I'm also trained, certified as a child and family investigator. And while I have not actively used that in the court system, I have used those skills and tools in working with people who are divorcing. And if, if people can keep in mind every fight you have over the kids, if you, if you don't resolve that by yourselves, even without your lawyers, mm-hmm. The kids are going to pay the price for that. Every single time? Yes. And so the kids, there's enough love for everybody to be able to share the kids. The kids are going to be fine if everybody can stay focused on them and their needs and um, and making sure that their needs are met, that they all have some fun. Um, that's, that's a time for parents. It's really hard for people divorcing to step back and say, quit pointing fingers at one another even yeah. – Oh, well, he's a Disneyland dad, you know. They go do all these fun things because he has them on the weekends, and I get to deal with the temper tantrums and the homework and the making sure they get their bath and get to school. But that's that's many times a trade-off. Then, then you get to sit down and negotiate. Yeah. I want some fun time too. So how can we do I had this? An, I had to negotiate for the week on, week, on, week off mm-hmm. because at first I got uh, that Kramer versus Kramer stuff oh. where you have them every other weekend. No, not that's not a lot of time. No, it's not a lot of time. That's what three days out of fourteen. Yes, that's that's a very minimal time. People, people too. In this day and age, what I have found coming out of the shoot fifty fifty is pretty common. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's the the Kramer versus Kramer days. Hopefully, are over. Yeah, and and what you see then a lot of times people maybe have more visitation time than they're exercising. Mm-hmm. And that's sad for the kids if they think, well, I could be at daddy's, I could be at mommy's, but she's off doing this. Or That's that's painful for the kids to realize, too, that mom and dad are making a choice when they could be doing something with else. them. Yeah, I did that uh, that mandatory child, what's that class? High, high conflict parenting? Well, no, uh, you had to go or down to the, yeah, the, the uh-huh. co-parenting class. Mm-hmm. The movies were back in the 50s, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. it was brutal. That, that place was packed. There was a couple hundred people in there because they offer it twice a month, I think. Mm-hmm. So that just lends itself to how many people are getting divorced. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, the message was, you know, don't use the kids as pawns. And people still do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't know that, that it messes up the kids in the long run. Mm-hmm. The kids always lose. You know, my, my sister years ago when she divorced her, the father of her children, she is probably one of the, the smartest people I know and how her and her ex-husband co-parented. For whatever reason, they divorced, which was only their business. Mm-hmm. They would go to school conferences together. They would go to plays together, football games together, this together, that. I mean, they would not go together, but they would meet each other there mm-hmm. and enjoy the event of 
of the day for the children's sake and be yeah. able to talk and converse. They also, when the, when the, their children got older, I think it was more of a, um, letting the kids decide because they only lived like five minutes apart from each other. Mm-hmm. So the kids could go back and forth freely if they wanted, but also they would call each other up. Oh, well, you know, he said this. Did he, mm-hmm. what did, what did he tell you about this? Well, and so honest. there was no triangulation going no. on. They, they had a pretty clear picture, hopefully, of, of what was going on. Day on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I had a little triangulation going on at first. I had to nip that in the bud. Well, kids, they well, play. they all kids are smart. Oh, like you yeah, said, they know how to do that. Oh, I can do this. I can zero in and get yep. two allowances yep. and <laughs> do this and do that. <laughs> well, we want to thank Miss Julie for coming by today. We're definitely going to have her back. That was fun. I think she had a lot more fun than she thought she would have. So I did. I had a blast. Thank uh, you for having so, me. No, thank you for coming. And this we'll is stay. this is fun to see this venture of yours. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens with it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can triangulate some stuff. <laughs> we should keep doing this, and maybe we could be the next, you know, Michael and Kelly Ripa My, type yeah, of person. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> just get a little gap between my front teeth. <laughs> Boom. All right, everybody out there, you guys take care and stay safe. 